Hey guys, Cullen here. I'm the host of Cauldron, a military history podcast. I just wanted to hop on and say thank you for listening. And I know it's been a while since we had a new episode of the show. I've had some stuff going on on this end. We're making a bit of a career change and we are moving our home. So there's been some stuff going on, but all good stuff and and definitely looking forward to 2023 we'll have more episodes coming conigrats the battle that we are going to cover next the battle of sedova conigrats i will have that episode to you by the 5th of january we are going to record the next couple of nights whenever i can sequester myself away and get it done The other thing I wanted to bring you is an introduction to a new series that I'm going to run for Cauldron. Part of the reason that it's taken so long to get the new episode out is I like to be thorough. um, And writing the script and researching can take a bit. So the intervening time is going to be, or in between the larger episodes of Cauldron, I'm going to have the run called War A to Z, an encyclopedia podcast of military history. As we go forward, I'm going to try and just bag up 10, 15 episodes at a whack and then release them one at a time. And they're going to be anywhere from three to 10 minutes long and cover everything from individuals and weapons and tactics to uh, wars and theory and machines and vehicles and everything in between so that should be uh, interesting and a lot of fun i've got the first 25 uh, researched and written and it's nice and quick so you'll be able to get a little bit more than you might normally if we go that route so that all being said here is the first episode of war a to z And look out for the next episode of Cauldron with the Battle of Conigrats. War A to Z. Abbas the Great, or Abbas the First of Persia, born January 27th, 1571, died January 19th, 1629. Abbas the Great's more than 40-year rule began in turbulent times for the Empire of Persia. On every border, an enemy was either actively attacking or ready to pounce. To the north were the Uzbeks, a Turkic people from Central Asia. The Mughals of the subcontinent lurked in the east, and most important and dangerous of all these enemies, the Turks of the Ottoman Empire came from the west. For decades, The vaunted Ottoman Janissaries, the terrific infantry of the Sultan that regularly broke European foes on the battlefield, marched east into Persia and tore chunks of territory away from the Persian Empire. Though his position was precarious, Abbas recognized that there was an opportunity to consolidate and hold power if he could work fast and fearlessly. Prioritizing his myriad enemies, Abbas decided to ignore the Turks for the moment. He knew that his army would get trounced if he faced the well-organized, famously disciplined Ottoman Janissaries too soon. Abbas also shrewdly assessed the geopolitical chessboard and decided that the Christian European powers in the West would keep the majority of the Ottoman forces entangled elsewhere. 
the few small invasions by Turks into Abbas's lands went almost unmolested as Abbas decided to play for time. He traded space for time, and in the end, it proved the right call. Because Abbas knew that the Turks' time would come, but first he had to set out to deal with the irksome Uzbeks. The nomadic Uzbek tribes repeatedly swooped down into Persian lands, raping, pillaging, and plundering. Abbas employed the same space-for-time strategy he had with the Turks and allowed the Uzbeks to grab more and more lands inside his borders. But Abbas was not idly sitting by, giving away his country. He spent the intervening time restructuring his army. Upon taking the throne, Abbas had inherited an ill-disciplined tribal army with an unbalanced lean towards cavalry. This preponderance of cavalry was both practical, for staving off nomadic raiders and steppe peoples, and historic. Persia, after all, was the ancestral lands of the Sassanids and the Parthians. A series of administrative modifications, good selections of both advisors and generals, and the development of a well-rounded army made of infantry, cavalry, and artillery gave Abbas a thoroughly modern military force. He recognized that his shiny new toy still needed some preparation and discipline, so Abbas went to the English and even his enemies, the Turks, and hired mercenaries to teach his army how to wage war. Updated and with the technical know-how to fight a modern campaign, Abbas's army was ready to fight. The Persian military slapped the Uzbek forces around and in one swift movement reconquered all the lost northern lands. The Uzbek nomadic horsemen were sent reeling and would no longer be a problem for Abbas. With things settled there, Abbas turned finally to the Turks. The reckoning with the Ottomans was not going to be a slapdash, figure-it-out-as-we-go kind of affair. Over 10 years, Abbas implemented a series of campaigns built on a kind of bite-and-hold strategy. Piece by piece, he regained the lost territory on his western border. Wisely, Abbas recognized the point in each campaign that he'd lost the momentum, or that by taking more land, he'd be in a less defensible position. And that's when he terminated the advance, hunkering down and preparing to defend his gains. Abbas's ability to correctly sense the, quote, culminating point, or the point at which power dissipates through further action, was on full display against the Turks. By keeping his objectives attainable and realistic, Abbas saved his army from suffering any crushing defeats. In 1603, Abbas took the city of Tabriz, followed by Yerevan, Shirvan, and Kars, and even snatched a swath of the Caucasus region. In 1604, Abbas felt strong enough to strike Anatolia, the Ottoman heartland. Though their eastern border was severely compromised, the Ottomans fought on. At the Battle of Sis in 1606, an Ottoman army under Ahmed I was smashed by Abbas's forces. The Turks suffered as many as 20,000 dead. Not willing to stop there, Abbas pushed on, launching campaigns into Syria, Kurdistan, and Azerbaijan. Battered but not beaten, the Ottomans struck back in 1616 by besieging the city of Yerevan. 
all the Turkish efforts met with failure, and in 1617, a peace treaty was signed. Of course, peace in this part of the world always seems uh, short-lived, and the peace between Abbas and the Turks was no different. In 1624, an Ottoman invasion of Mesopotamia led to Baghdad being put under siege. A two-year struggle ended with the siege being lifted in 1626 and a Turkish retreat. Growing into his role as a commander, by 1622, Abbas felt comfortable enough to run simultaneous campaigns at opposite ends of his empire. While keeping the Ottoman fury at bay in the west, Abbas invaded his easternmost enemy, the Mughal Empire of modern-day India. From 1622 to 1623, Abbas wrenched the Kandahar region from Mughal control, kicking off the Mughal-Persian Wars. Rounding out the early 1620s, Abbas turned on the only European power with a toehold in his neck of the woods. The Portuguese had set up trading ports in the Persian Gulf throughout the 1500s. In 1622, with the aid of English ships, Abbas expelled the Portuguese from the port of Hormuz. A brilliant leader, skilled commander, and masterful strategist, Abbas the Great was also a builder of note and a man of culture. During his reign, the Safavid culture went through something of a golden age, hitting its high watermark in architecture, the arts, and administration. Abbas wanted to make his mark so clear that he moved the capital city to Isfahan, where he encouraged a building renaissance in the Safavid style. Personally, Abbas led a troubled life. By the end of his reign, Abbas had one heir killed and two others blinded in bouts of extreme paranoia. He fell terminally ill and died in 1629 in Farabad on the Caspian coast at the age of 57.